doubter. I'm a doer, not just a hearer. I am humble before the Lord. I'm obedient to the Lord. I am mature in the Lord. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. Say that one again. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. Say that with a little energy. I'm enthusiastic about the Lord. I know that. Faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Amen. In the book of Luke chapter 24, uh, verse 11 and 12, I'll read into your hearing from the New Ch uh, King James translation. It says this, and their words, somebody say their words. It says, and their words seemed to be like idle tales, and they did not believe them. But Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooped down, and he saw the linen clothing lying by themselves. And he departed, marveling. Somebody say marveling. Marveling to himself at what had happened. Amen? You may be seated. Now today we're going to talk from a, a, a thought that centers around the amazing resurrection. The amazing resurrection. Most of you know this story. Most of you know about this week because this is the most important week, most important day on the Christian calendar. Resurrection exceeds Easter. I mean, not Easter, but Christmas. I'm sorry. R resurrection exceeds Christmas. Because the world kind of accepts, Cliff, the fact that he was born. Nobody argue about that. Nobody argue the fact that he lived. But when you tell folk he got up, you're going to have a problem. So the resurrection was the culmination of the most powerful and passionate week in Jesus' life and in his ministry. And before I go back and take a look, you know, uh, at Luke's version of the resurrection, I want to just highlight some of the things that took place during the course of the week. That span of time from his arrival in Jerusalem to the triumphant entry of them saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Last week we celebrated Palm Sunday and we had a good time remembering that he rode in on a, on a donkey, on the coat of a donkey, and, and, and they saw him as their Lord and Savior. We even got into a moment where we shouted, Hosanna. Because we understood that it's important for us to all realize that we need him to save us. But now let me capture some things that happened after the shouting was done. And Jesus continued to be about his father's business. You know, if I was to ask you to think about your week from last Sunday when you were jumping and shouting to Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, tonight. Some of you probably can play back your week with ease. Some of you, you know, if you're my age, you may have a hard time at times. You may have to kind of really ponder some things. But some of y'all got good minds still and just, you can play back your week. There was some good and some bad. During the course of the week, Cliff, somebody may have even lied on you. Just to mess your week up. So you got a reason to look forward to the resurrection because you want that week, good, bad, and ugly, whether you want to or not, it's behind you. But it's good for us to look back at times and just think about what we went through this past week. Play it back. And that's all I want to do today before we get back to our text is to kind of play back some of Jesus' week. Those of you who are old schoolers, you probably got most of this week memorized in your head. Amen. So I just want you to just play along with me in your head. See it how the Lord showed it to you. For those of you who may be unfamiliar with the whole week and the things that happened between the shout and the cross, there was a lot of things that went on. This may be new information to you, and I hope that some of it will serve as a memorial in your heart and your mind to know that this week is important. And more so, this day is the most important day 
of all. Now, immediately after Jesus' glorious entry into Jerusalem, he went into the temple. Somebody say the temple. And, and, and Cliff, they were shouting and saying, Hosanna. He go in the temple and get indignant. We don't like to see Jesus being indignant, so I call it righteous indignation. Make it sound a little bit better because nobody wants Hosanna coming in riding on the donkey to go in the temple and turn some things over. But he went into the temple and in his righteous indignation, he cleansed the temple by driving out the money changers. Somebody say the money changers. And those who sold doves because they were taking advantage of God's people who were coming into town to worship. Cliff came in from out of town. He didn't have a dove with him to offer up for a sacrifice. Bolden sitting in the temple knowing that doves are going at a, you know, normally a dollar a dove. But because Cliff has got a need that he can't meet and he didn't bring no dove with him, this same dove, I'm going to charge him $12 because today is the important day. This is the Passover week. This is an important celebration. Cliff needed a dove. So I'm going to make some money off Cliff. That's what they were doing. They were making some money. And there are people in the church who are making some money off you. You just don't know it, but they... So in his righteous indignation, Jesus said he was going to drive out the money changers and those who were selling the doves. See, look at your life. He went into the temple. You ain't going to feel that. But what you got to see, Jonelle, you are the. And when he come in you, you got to let him. The Bible says your body is the temple of a living God for be holy. So what I'm trying to say, when he rides into town, after you get through shouting Hosanna, you got to let him come in and drive some things out. Because, you know, there's something that ain't going to just leave your life. You're going to have to let him drive them out. These folks weren't just going to leave the temple. Some of the gospels say he even got a, some cords clipped, platting together and whipped little old Jesus coming in on a baby donkey. Now all of a sudden he get righteous and indignant at the same. And whipped. See, that ain't the Jesus that we like to talk about. We like to talk about the Jesus with the lamb on his shoulder and the humble Jesus. But this same Jesus, when you come against things that is of his father's business, he will whip you. He will display some righteous indignation. He said, it is written, my father's house shall be called a house of prayer. But you have made it a den of that's some folks stealing. In the church. Somebody say it ain't so. But there are some folks stealing in the church. There are some folks right now, today, as we speak, stealing on the Lord's day. On Resurrection Sunday, there are some people in the church. I won't go into ways how they steal, but you know, there are people who know how to steal from you, even on Resurrection and we need the Holy Spirit to drive some of that out of. Oh, let me move on. That was just the beginning after, you know, Hosanna. Then he started to heal the blind and the lame that was in the temple. By doing that, the religious leader, the chief priest and the scribes, you know, they became indignant. Now they get upset because the people start to praise Jesus for what he is doing in their lives. So they got so upset to the point that they wanted to plot how to kill him. See, sometimes envy and jealousy will turn into pure hatred. You know, when you don't get control of your envy and your jealousy of how you look at other folks, you can develop a spirit of hatred where you can just see people and you just don't know nothing about them, but you just 
See, them. somebody done planted a seed in your heart and in your mind about a person. You don't even know them, but just by pure hatred can show up. And when pure hatred show up, guess what? Your mild manner of behavior will turn into hate to the point you want to hurt. You know, right now, I, I know this is Resurrection Sunday, but I got to resurrect the USA. You know, they're the spirit of pure going around in America right now on all sides. A spirit of pure. Anytime you go in a school and shoot up some kids, that's just pure. You need to be careful that that spirit don't come on you. Uh, let me move on because I said I wasn't going to stay here long. We're just recapping this week. He taught several powerful and thought-provoking parables. He taught the parable of the wicked wine dresser, which was about stewardship. He taught the parable of the wedding feast, and the wedding feast was designed to let the Jews know because they re re uh, rejected his invitation that the call was worldwide, that the call was universal. And because they turned him down, there would be others out there who would accept the call. So that call of salvation is still going forth today. It's going to be going forth when we leave, and it's going to be going forth when our children leave because it's an eternal call. Until Jesus comes back, the call of salvation is going to always be relevant. Somebody needs to get saved. All mankind need to know who Jesus is. Then he taught the parable of the five wise and the five foolish virgins. Some of you know this. And he was stressing the importance of being ready, Cliff and being prepared for his return. And so you got to understand the Bible says he's coming back, Brother Herb, as a thief in the night. He's coming back. No man knows the hour or the day that he's coming back, but we all know that he's coming back. And he told us to watch and, and we need to be living on alert. Right now, instead of you living on alert, some of you are walking around sleeping when you ought to be living you ought to be paying attention to what's going on around you and the times that you're living in so that you'll be aware of what's about to happen because the Spirit can reveal some things to you even before the newsman. We need to be alert. We need to watch and... So my question is just a simple one. Are you ready today? Do you even know, like they said, what time it is? Some folk come into church on Resurrection Sunday, clueless. On Resurrection, clueless. And I dropped by on my way to heaven, just tell you, you better wake up and figure out what, what time it is in your life, where you are in your walk, what, how much time you got you better figure out what. Then he entertained some questions from the religious leader. Those questions weren't sincere. They were designed to, to trap him, to say something that would be against the law. So they asked him questions like, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar? <laughs> they weren't concerned about no taxes. They weren't going to trap Jesus. See, see, can we get Caesar mad at him? And Jesus kind of said, well, look at the money. See who picture on it. Lincoln, Washington, Benjamin. Look at the money. Whoever's on the money, that's who you pay you. So some of y'all dropped by here to tell me, for me to tell you in this tax season, you got to the 15th. Oh, it's the 18th now? Okay, help me out right there, because I know. Mine already pays. I'm good. Mine already pays. But you got, you got to give back to Caesar what's his. Amen. You spend Caesar money, you got to give Caesar his money. And I know some of them got upset when he answered that question like that, and then they asked him questions about the first and greatest commandment. Like they really want to know how much they got to love God, how much they got to love them neighbor. That and how much they got to love themselves. Then they asked him a question, you know, uh, is it lawful 
to heal on the Sabbath. That would be like, is it lawful for you to do some work to heal somebody on Sunday? Now, and Jesus was wild enough to know that they didn't care about whether you were sick or not. They were just trying to get him to break the law. So he flipped the script and said, well, now, if you had a donkey or oxen and he fell in a hole on the Sabbath, are you going to leave him now? And let me say on Sunday, he fell in the hole on Sunday. Are you going to leave him now to Monday? But, it, you know, you just got to wait. It's Sunday. I don't do no work on Sunday. You just hold out till tomorrow morning, and I'll come get you out. But in the meantime, it's NBA season two. It's not like I'm going to be studying the word while I leave you in the hole. I'm going to be watching. I figured I'd lighten up the mood a little bit on, on, on resurrection Sunday. Can we talk about the course of Jesus week. Then he had a knockdown, what I call a knockdown, drag out, tough conversation with the religious leaders, where he denounced and rebuked their lifestyle by emphatically calling them hypocrites. You know, we would probably be like the religious leader too, if Jesus came and got in our lifestyle business, Cleo. You ain't got no business looking at what I do when I'm in, in the church, Jesus. What I do when I say amen and leave here is of no concern of yours. Jesus, I love you, but look here, don't mess with my life. Don't you come and rebuke my lifestyle. I'm going to call me no hypocrite. You just don't know. I got up early this morning to come hear a word about you. So I dare you. Let me come and sit and strive for two hours and not leave and you're going to call me a all because when I leave here, my lifestyle don't look nothing like I look right. See, long as I was talking about the religious leader, y'all was happy, but I can feel some tenseness coming on right now. My spirit is sensing that there's some tension. And I just hope it makes you think about your lifestyle when you leave here. Now, if you ain't living hypocritically, Jesus ain't talking to you. You ain't got to get mad at him. But if the shoe fit, <laughs> that ain't no Easter message. What that got to do with the resurrection? I'm trying to resurrect you. I know Jesus done got up, but I ain't sure about you. <laughs> I want to make sure you... <laughs> oh, Lord. You know, that exchange enraged them to the point that they no longer were thinking about killing him. They developed a plan to kill him. That plan even included getting one of Jesus' very own disciples to betray, betray him for 30 pieces of silver. You know, I tell people all the time, betrayal is always the inside People who don't know you can't betray you. So it's people who are close to you that have become too close to the enemy. In other words, there are some people that you call your besties, but they are also friends with your enemy. And they are the ones that can go back to your enemy and talk about So you got to be careful who you just label your bestie, your rider. Because all of them may not be riding and dying with you until they find somebody else they can ride. So Jesus had a, one of his very own, that he, a disciple, we call him Judas. I guess that's why you nobody named their kids Judas today. That name Judas just got a bad rank to you. You know, you say, Judas, you look at you, you name your kid Judas. Judas, they don't think about nothing good when they hear the name. Someone who betrayed him. And then after that, 
he had that moment, what I call an honorable and, and gut-wrenching moment in the garden. You know, prior to that, he had told Peter, hey, Peter, man, look, you're you going to betray me. You're going to deny me. But like most of us, Cliff, for the moment, Peter said, I'm with you to the end. You know, and I just dropped out to tell you before I get to the garden that sometimes talk is, see, you don't really know what you would do until you're under pressure. When ain't no pressure is on you, you'll do, say, anything. But when pressure, in the old days, we used to say pressure bust pipes. And some people just can't handle. Even people who say, I'm going to be. So all of that leads him to this garden where he goes through this trial of his own. Because in the flesh, Cliff, flesh didn't want to really die for you. He knew what his assignment was, but when it was time to fulfill that assignment, he had to go and reconcile some different within himself. Because he went to the Father and said, Lord, if it is possible. Not just one time, Cliff. He went, if it is possible, take this cup away from me. I done seen what they're about to do to me, and if it's possible, there's another way to get there. Crying so hard, somebody said the other night that his sweat was like, because he was under. And if I know if Jesus had a hard time handling pressure, I know what you're going to do if you don't have the Spirit of God in you when you're under. I don't know what that pressure may be. It may be pressure from your fiance, your boyfriend, your girlfriend. It may be pressure from your job. It may be pressure from your mama and your daddy. But it's still. And what are you going to do when you're under? Are you going to say, Father, if it's not possible, not my will, but your will be done. In other words, God, I, this situation that I'm in is not going to change. But God, in spite of what I think about it, in spite of what I feel, God, let your will be done and not mine. That's what you're going to have to do when you're on the... Because it's easy to say, God, your will be done in my life when there ain't no pressure in your life. <laughs> oh, when your fiancé gave you an ultimatum and tell her it's ride or die time, and you just say, no, nah, we wait till we get married. Pressure. Pressure. Lord, if it be thy will, <laughs> or is it going to be her will, or his will? Pressure. Right now, it's either on Sunday morning, on early on Easter Sunday morning. It's either to say, hey, the pressure ain't real, but wait, 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 wait. You got to leave here. He got to be real bold to put pressure on you in here. Let me move on. Let me, I'm just talking about pressure. I done got caught up in a moment there. Let me just talk about pressure. But even under pressure, Jesus could have wimped out because he could still do his will. He realized he had to submit to the Father's will. Now get this. Your life is not going to get any better until you start submitting God's will. Now, he's going to let you do whatever you want to do, when you want to do it, and who you want to do it with because he's not going to violate your will. But the minute you want your life to get on this Resurrection Sunday, you came here to hear me tell you, if you want your life to get, you're going to have to submit your will to his will. And then believe that his will for your life is better than your very own. That he know more about you than you know about yourself. Now following that precious moment, that precious moment in time, Jesus was betrayed and then he was arrested. First he faced religious leaders, the Sanhedrin council, where they, they tried to bring people to falsely testify against Jesus. In other words, they... They went out and found some people to make up some lies 
about Jesus so that they could have enough evidence to take him before the Romans so that the Romans could put him to death. Jews did not have the authority to kill. They could judge each other, but the Romans had to execute, you know, judgment when it comes to killing. So we were called capital punishment. They can execute punishment for minor offenses, but when it came to capital punishment, going to the cross, only the Romans could do that. So now in order to get a case to the Romans, they got to go out and get some liars. They got to find some people that are going to tell some lies on him, say he violated their rules, their laws, anything that would cause them to him look like he came against Rome, so that now we have justification to take him to be crucified. Now, get this. I think that's in here today to let some of y'all know that before the week's out, or even maybe even last week, you had some liars in your life. Some folks just lie. And when they couldn't get the case strong, they went out and got other folks. Just lie. You know, it's easy to get folks to believe a lie and spread a lie. More so than true. And, and, and I want to warn you that before this week is out, some of you, somebody going to And when they lie on you, you don't even need to get offended. You don't need to get all out of sorts and go back to your old nature. You just have to say, hey, the Spirit told me you were going to show up this week. I was expecting you to tell that lie. See, when you can expect certain things before it happens, you don't have to react the way people think you're going to react when they catch you by surprise. So now, he's before the council. The council didn't have enough, but they got people to lie, and then they now take him to the, the Romans. You know, and as he was standing before Pilate, you know, he really didn't want to kill Jesus. He had some options, Cliff. There was another thief out there. There was somebody else, there, a, a notorious criminal. And the Romans had this policy that, I guess we would call that when the president can pardon you, no matter how bad you've been, if you get a presidential pardon, he's setting you free. And so the Romans had a policy that, hey, we're willing to set somebody free. But when he wanted to set Jesus free, because he didn't have enough evidence, the people rose up in an uproar. And they said, look, we want the other guy. We want you to release the criminal. But put that guy to death. They just rose. And Cliff, I think Brother Anthony said this on Friday night. Some of those same folks that were shouting hope a week ago are now saying, y'all know the story. Some of the same people that were patting you on your back last Sunday is <laughs> stabbing you this. Some of the same people that say, I love you today, next week, They'll be saying some things against you. They don't. Where did the love go? The same people. So look here, you got to be careful what people say with their mouth. Because the mouth is not always a clear indicator of what's truly in their heart, what they think about you. And so therefore, you got to be able to discern what people really think about you. So when they laugh in your face and they skin and grin with you and they pat you on the back, you better say, hey, the Holy Spirit that I already revealed to me, that today you saying pat, 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 and the next week you're going to be saying crucify. Crucify. You know, last week, Cliff, we were taking off our clothes, laying them down in front of him. Hosanna. But all because maybe he didn't do what we wanted him to do this week. He didn't live up to our expectation. We had an expectation that he was going to come back like this powerful king and overturn the Romans. But he didn't even overturn the Romans. If he didn't do that, he is of no use. So we might as well crucify him. He didn't already got on our last nerve when he rebuked us and called us hypocrites. So we, we might as well go ahead and crucify him. Might as well go ahead and just let him be killed. Not realizing that even though it looked bad, it was all part of God's. What they were meaning for evil going to turn out and work for our good. 
the thing that they thought was going to be the end of the story just opened up the final chapter of the story. You know, Tanya said on Friday night that that was not the last episode. It was just a cliffhanger to get you to come back today to see how the story really ends. And see, I just dropped by to tell you that, look, even though they took him, gave him to the Romans, they beat him down. You saw the story on Friday night. You heard about it. Faith even alluded to some of it this morning. Beat him down, nailed him to the cross, a cross, a cross, the instrument of death. Not just a quick death clip, but a slow and painful death. Where he hung on that cross, least from noon to three dying. The Bible says the earth became dark while he was dying. Some even mentioned that again on Friday night. His seven last sayings while he was on that cross, dying. Then, when he finally released his spirit back to the Father, like most of his disciples, along with the Romans, and probably even some of you sitting in here today, thought that that was the end of the story. Can I make it real? I think all of us have buried a loved one. And over time, the feeling that you had when they were, you was at the grave is not the same feeling that you have a year from now. Because you move on with your life. Jesus' disciples moved on with their life. All that teaching, Cliff, that he did, all the things he said, even though he told them, hey, they're going to destroy this temple. And in three days, I'm going to rise from the dead. They, they didn't get it. They didn't get it. They just believed what they heard and what they saw at the time. I know they don't put the tomb there. They don't put a stone in front of it. It must be. So they started living like it was, there are a lot of people in church on this very Sunday morning who's living like it's, they don't see life after death. They see death as the final chapter. So when things get to that point, they give up hope. And when loved ones die, they give up hope of ever seeing them because they have a problem understanding the rather. If they understood and believed the they will see death as just a transition from one part of life. I know you can't get that right now because that's something that is hard for us to get in our natural mind. Sometimes natural truth is hard to comprehend when you can't believe what you are hearing. So we get back to our text, and I'm going to finish up this. Chapter 24, and let me start with verse 1, and I'll read through to verse 12. Chapter 24, Luke's story. It says, now on the first day, somebody say the first day. Now on the first day of the week, that's why where we get Sunday from, and that's why we worship on Sunday. Because in the Christian faith, for the most part, we have put Sunday in hell, Sunday in high esteem. That's why on the Roman calendar, the Greek calendar, whatever calendar that came from, Sunday is considered the first day of the week. Because in the Jewish culture, you know, the Sabbath was Saturday. And so what happens is when Jesus died on Friday afternoon, you know, on the cross, 3 to 6, well, Friday is counted and ends at 6 o'clock. Friday's over in their calendar then now becomes the Sabbath, which is from Friday night at 6 to Saturday night at 2 days. So at 6.01 on Saturday night, we're on the third day. And I captured and encountered, you say, that's less than 96 hours, that's less than 72 hours. Yeah, yeah, well, don't get wrapped around the action by the way you count hours. You got to look at it how God counts not how you count. Because if you look at it how you count, you'll be looking on the wrong. You'll be like these guys sitting down and then forgot all about the third day. 
So on the first day of the week, very early, somebody say very early. You know, still dark early. Before the rooster crow early. You know, this will be like our 3, 4 o'clock in the morning. Some of y'all ain't even familiar with that time. Some of y'all don't even know what it's like at three or four o'clock. No, no. Don't do that even for me. Because you know you're deep somewhere. You know, you, you turn over at that time. That's your last turn. Because, because for you, they don't even start till seven o'clock and eight o'clock. You know, it's just three o'clock in the morning early. Trying, me trying to find Jesus at three o'clock in the morning ain't happening, Captain, because I got up. Oh, Lord. Early. I just dropped by again to tell you, sometimes if you want to seek the Lord, you will have to find him early. You will have to be inconvenienced. Get up out of your deep sleep. When the Spirit of the Lord touch you at 3 o'clock in the morning, you need to wake up early and seek him so that he can be. Stop lying to yourself like you're going to pray at 9 o'clock when you get up. You might well go on and set your phone for 3 o'clock. Inconvenience yourself. I'm challenging some of y'all right now because, you know, he said we got to watch and he didn't say what time. You ought to be in a prayerful mind all the time. But I just want to challenge you early on Monday morning. You got to go to work anyway. So early tomorrow morning, 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock. We'll split the difference. Just say 4 o'clock. I'll give you a break. Just when you go home, just hit your phone. Our phone will tell you to do it all. You ain't ready to trust your spirit. I can hear some of y'all thinking right now, I'm going to just let the spirit wake me up. No, you ain't ready yet. <laughs> you, 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 you ain't ready to trust your spirit right now. You need to trust the clock. Once you start trusting the clock, then your spirit will kick in. The spirit, my spirit wake me up every morning about the same time when Sports Center is on about 5 o'clock in the morning. I don't even have an alarm clock. Every morning, I wake up at the same sports center on. Then Keyshawn, Jay Wheeler, Max. Every morning, wake up right there at that time. I don't even set no clock. Because my spirit be looking for Keyshawn, Jay Will. Some of y'all sports people know who I'm talking about. But I'm trying to say that same spirit can wake me up and say, Jesus is calling on you to wake up and pray. He's speaking to you in the same way. And I'm trying to tell you, sometimes you got to sacrifice and seek him early. Early in your life, early in the morning. Man, can you imagine what it would be like if your children truly find him? What your life would be like if you had truly found him? They, the word says, very early in the morning, they and certain other, somebody said women, with them. Wow. This was an all-woman movement. Not a man to be found. Early in the morning. Now, they went out there for a different reason, but the boys could have been looking too if they had been counting days. They should have known that on the third day something's supposed to happen. So now we got all these women, and I can't understand why do we want to silence women in the church today when they got up early on resurrection morning? While the boys were sleeping in and in fear and running for their lives, women got up. Certain women. Not just one. Early. They came to the tomb bringing spices which they had prepared. In other words, these women realized that we didn't get time to prepare his body properly on Friday because, you know, the Sabbath hit, and we couldn't do no work, so we had to stop. But now the Sabbath is over, and it's early, so we can go and do what we normally would have done by putting spices on his dead because, you know, when Lazarus in the tomb, they say on the third day, you know he's stinking. They didn't want Jesus to be stinking on the third day. Even though they was doing something good, they didn't go there with their mind that he wasn't. 
They was doing the right thing, Brother Latham, but they went there with an attitude that he must still be, still be dead. He got to be dead. We bring in spices so he don't stink. We don't want him stinking up the tomb, you know what I mean? So we're going to bring spices. Well, that's better than the men. Men didn't bring nothing. In fact, they left him on the cross, some of them. They just gone, scattered. Sorry, boys. They ain't a ride or die. I'm a ride or die with you. Then when he died, they run. So I believe that's some ladies that'll ride or die more than some brothers. So look at this. But they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 2. Now Luke said that when they got there, they asked among themselves, who's going to roll the stone away? So they went there with the expectation that somebody had to come in, take action. They needed help. We need some men to do this. But God knew the men scared. So when I can't get a man to do what needs to be done, I just send an angel down. Now he's going to send an angel. At least don't get in my story now. I done already brought the women in the story. I got to bring the angel in the story. Because ladies, no matter what you think, you couldn't move the... Your heart was in the right place, but God had to send an angel. Now, I ain't trying to speak to women's weakness in anything in the world, but every now and then, lady, you, you just need a man. I know you say, I don't need a man. I got my education. I got this. I got that. But every now and If you can't find a real one, find an angel then. <laughs> but know that every now and Oh, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't got off script here. Let me, let me get back over here because the women realized that they could not roll the stone away. They realized that. So God understood that they knew they couldn't roll the stone. So because the boys were scared, he sent a Matthew's version said the earth quaked. And an angel of the Lord came down and moved the stone away. See, sometimes there's some things in your life that's blocking you from where you're trying to go. And you can't move it by yourself. You need to say, God, I need you to send me some. Because if you don't send me some help, this thing is going to keep me from going where I'm trying to get to. But you got to have a heart to be trying to go somewhere. I don't need to send you no help if you ain't doing nothing but standing still. If you ain't doing nothing but marching time in place. I only need to send you some help when you're at least moving toward a direction that I want you to go in. But as long as you're just meditating on it, thinking on it, I really... Verse 2 said they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. Verse 3, they went in and did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. Verse 4, and it happened as they were greatly, somebody say perplexed. See, they went in thinking one thing, but when what they were thinking did not happen, they got kind of perplexed. You know how it is with you, and I'm like that now. I go into certain situations thinking one thing, and what I'm thinking don't happen, I get proof. I get puzzled. I get bewildered. I get kind of confused. Hey, what's going on? Somebody need to slow this down and tell me what is going. I came in thinking one thing, and all of a sudden I walk in here, and I see something entirely different. They went in looking for a body, but when they got there, they had the wrong expectation. Even though they went, their expectation was just like the men. They didn't expect him to be gone. So it happened when they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men, the Bible says here, angelic beings, stood by them in shining garments. They then, as they were, af were afraid, 
and bowed their faces to the earth. They said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? Man, y'all got to get there. It sounds like a simple little old question, but man, that is a powerful question. Why are you trying to find the living among dead things? Some of your life is not, your lives is not where it's supposed to be because you are looking among dead things, trying to find and you can't find life that's going to make your life better when you're hanging around. Sometimes the dead things in your life got to. That's why they died. They got to. I ain't talking about relatives and all that. I'm talking about dead things that you're doing that don't bring nothing beneficial to you. You're doing some things that just is not beneficial to your spiritual growth. They're dead. Like they say, you just carry around dead weight. So they had enough sense to bow down and worship and show profound respect when they got there. Then look at this. The angel give them this revelation. He is not here, but he is where? That's the whole reason we're here today, because of that. If that don't happen, then everything that we're doing in the church is in vain. If the resurrection didn't take place, then you might as well, let's just leave here, don't come back next year, and let's just go to the beach on Sunday. Let's just go and have us a beach bash on Easter Sunday morning, and just go and have some fun, because all we're doing now is in... That's why it's important for you to believe in the resurrection. Even though you may not understand it, you may not be able to comprehend it all with your natural mind, in your heart, you still got to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You got to believe that he got up on the third day just like he said, and now he's seated at the right hand of the Father interceding for you. You got to believe that. If you don't believe that, then guess what? Christianity would nothing, be nothing more than a formality for you. I go to church out of former lizard. See, today I did something on purpose. I came up here with my shirt tail out, you know, comfortable shoes on. But back in the day, this was that day. If mama ain't had no money for nothing else, she had some money for Easter. We were going to get a basket, and we were going to get some new clothes. We know that we were going to get some new clothes, and back then, you know, you got them patent leather. You could tell it was Easter Sunday because all them little girls come in with them patent, them long can-can dresses, patent leather, and then we had our basket. was our understanding of we didn't come now thinking about the resurrection and how important it was to this story. We came down wanting to be dressed up because we got to look good on Easter. When if you're going to dress up, you ought to be dressed up on every Sunday that you come to church. So years ago, this Easter attire would not have worked for me. Because I wanted to be dressed up. I wanted to be casket ready clean. From my head to my toe. I mean, the shoes I used to wear, I believe will live again. Because you pour water on them and they start moving. <laughs> but that was back in the day. I still got them, but now you can pour water on these, ain't nothing gonna happen. So my point is, is I don't want this day 
become such a formality and we dress up for this day, but we don't dress up for the rest of the year. We, we don't live for him the rest of the year. We don't carry ourselves for him the rest of the year. Look what the angel had to say. Verse 6, he is not here, but he is risen. Somebody say, remember. remember. Somebody shout, remember. remember. Remember how he spoke to you, spoke to you, spoke to you. Guess what? He's talking to a bunch of women. And he's saying, y'all ought to remember how he spoke to So that means that these women was privy to some of the same conversations that the boys were. Remember how he spoke to you when he was in Galilee saying, the son of man must be, lived, be delivered into the hands of sinful men, the Romans and anybody else who came against him, and be crucified and the third day rise again. And look at verse 8, say, they remembered his words. You came here today so that you can remember some of Jesus' words. You got to remember something that he has said and spoke to your heart from this word, and you got to be able to call it to remember. Every now and then when you go to church, you don't come here just to come. You come here to get something inside of you so that when times get tough in your life, you can say, I can re remember what he said. He told me to love my enemies. He told me to build my house on a rock and not on sand. My life shouldn't be built on something that's going to toss me to and he told me to let my light so shine that men shall see my good works and glorify the Father. So he's telling me, hey, I remember when I leave here, I can't walk in darkness. I got to let my light. You got to remember something. And what you remember may not be what the Spirit brings to me. But all of you ought to have a remembrance of what the Lord has said to you. So when times get tough in your life, his words can comfort you. His word can also challenge you. And his words can convince you that what you believe in is not a lie. Verse 9. Then they returned from the tomb and told all these things to the eleven. And eleven, those, I'm going to just say for the lack of a better term, the boys. They went and told the boys. And, all, and to all the rest. Most of them boys. Maybe some women sprinkle in, but the eleven was the key. Now look at this. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the, and the other women. Now, man, they don't even say how many of them it was. Boy, I know they was in trouble. You get that many women coming at you, boy, you're in, you're in trouble. You, you, you just, especially when they got the facts, they know the truth, and they know what they believe, man, they're excited. I mean, when they come with that excitement, man, you, you just cannot deny when they come with that kind of energy. They're going to get your attention. And they told the apostles these things. Now look at this. The apostles may have had a block in their mind when it comes to receiving truthful information from women. Because they weren't used to women bringing no revelation. Most of the time, it was some of the men had to do. And so it was these women. Now when I looked up these women, and, and when you look back in, in, in what... The earlier writers, what Luke said and Matthew said about them, some of these women were prominent women. The Bible say they gave Jesus their substance. So in other words, these women were prominent enough, some of them, not all of them, to be able to support Jesus' ministry while he ministered. And now that he was dead, they still felt a need to support him, even though they thought they were just supporting him in putting perfume on his body. But they didn't know that they were going to become evangelists for the Lord. They were going to tell the story before man. Somebody, that's just a, just a one-off. God don't use women for that. That's a one-off. Well, then why did he use the harlot that was at the well? I mean, the one who had a husband that she was living with, had no six of them, and the one she was living with, there wasn't even her. Then when she got a revelation of who he was, she went running back telling them, whole time, come see a man. So ladies, I just dropped by to tell you, don't let nobody tell you God can't use you. 
if, if you open your heart up and open your mind up, God probably already knows you got more energy than most men. We men pretend, oh, we just don't have the fire. Not all of us. Cliff got the fire some of us. We, we, ain't got, we don't have that kind of fire. That ain't our nature. But we need some fire plugs. And if they happen to be women that can bring the fire and the truth of the gospel, <laughs> y'all better clap louder than that. I'm telling you. God, look at here. If God could use a donkey, surely <laughs> he could use a woman. He can use whoever he pleased to accomplish his. But always be mindful there's going to be some hard-headed men out there. There's going to be some, some hard-headed men. Because they told these things to the apostle. But look here. And their words seem like idols. You're talking to people like them who walk with him, who ain't with him, who had the last supper with him, and now when the women come back, say, hey, guess what? He done rolled. They say, oh. There go them women. They just gossiping again. They just lying. They just running, telling idle tales. They just tell bearers. That's all they. See, when you already got a picture of how you think women act built up in your head, then when they come to reveal truth to you, you won't even accept it. Some of y'all brothers sitting here, I know you're educated, you know, been to school and got multiple degrees, but there's some women out there that can tell you something that can enlighten your mind. So every time a woman speaks, don't act like you listen to idle tales. Because if you see her words as idle tales, you're going to be just like these disciples. And they did not, did not believe her. You know, too late for me. I wish I hadn't listened to Lady Jeanette more when she was alive. Because I'm coming to see now there were some things that I considered idle tales had a lot of truth to him. But because I was, I'm supposed to know more about this word than you do. I said it. I got to like it. I got to have it. And so that was sometimes that she said something. And I treated it as idle. Because I just could not comprehend what she was trying to get me to see. And I'm trying to tell you, you're going to have to comprehend what people are telling you in order for you to believe what they're telling you. And you're going to have to get past the messenger so that you can receive. Y'all can clap right there. That's a good place to clap because I'm done. Don't treat truth as idle tale. Believe the truth. Then look what it says here. But Peter, and I'm done, arose and ran. Somebody say ran. He didn't just walk. Peter was like that. Once he get older, something, he's going to run. Now he done came out of his nonsense, and now he wanted to go see for himself. He ran to the tomb, and stooping down, he saw the linen clothes lying by themselves. And he departed. Somebody say marveling. Marveling. In other words, he was amazed. You know, he was in awe. And he was wondering as he was departing, Latham, what then? What just happened? What did I just walk up on? What did I just see? Something just happened. Because now my mindset is changing. I really came here looking to see and find somebody wrapped up in that linen. Because the word was already on the street that the disciples are going to get his body and they're going to steal it so that they can claim that he rose from the dead. But I came here and saw my, with my own eyes. And, and look here, can I petonize this and boldenize this? And I came to the conclusion that if Cliff had came in here to steal the body, he would not have taken time to undress the body. Knowing that he done came and got a dead body, so in my mind I say, surely nobody stole the body. He must have been raised just like he said. So therefore now I leave that with a new attitude that I believe I serve a risen 
And to further the story, the boys was having dinner. Jesus had to walk through the closed door before Thomas could believe. Thomas said, look here, I heard what y'all done said. I done heard your testimony, but unless I can touch him and see the, the nail prints in his feet touch his side, I ain't believing nothing. That's why we call him doubting. Some of you are doubting Thomas is here today. Until you see a nail print or a hole print, until you see something that you can comprehend with your natural mind, you ain't going to believe this. And when Jesus showed up and told him to touch, he said, now I believe. He called him Lord. And Jesus said, look here, blessed are they who believe and have not seen. You are more blessed than Thomas because you are believing something that you did not see. You're believing that the resurrection of Jesus Christ was a real event, that it occurred. And because of that, you have a way back to Christ. You have a way back to the kingdom of God. You have a way to eternal life. You have a way that you did not have all because of his resurrection. And the deeper truth that you got to understand and get past your natural mind is that one day you're going to be raised with him in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye. Give the Lord some praise on the day. Praise him for his amazing resurrection. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Our dancers are going to come now and share experience with you. And I pray that you open your hearts and minds to receive what they have. Amen. Give them some praise.